Attention all observation team members. Before entering a body probe vehicle, you must pass through a level 1 and level 2 dermatopic purification screen. Thank you. You're not a penguin, you're a chicken. Yeah. I told you chickens to stay on the other side of the road. Okay, why did this chicken cross the road? And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 188 for the week of September 19th, 2010. This week, I'm pleased to welcome to the show a true Disney legend and someone whose name is synonymous with Disney history. From founding the Walt Disney Archives in 1970, to authoring numerous books, Dave Smith's 40-year career with the company has afforded him the opportunity to preserve the magic that began with Walt himself. Dave joins me this week to discuss his career, including not just his role in the creation and legacy of the archives, but its challenges, personal highlights, changes, and his future as he prepares to retire from this temporary job that lasted four decades. It's a fascinating conversation, not just about the archives, but about the person who made it reality. I'll have a few announcements and then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. A name very well recognized and synonymous with Disney history has had a long tenure with the Disney company as not only the head of the legendary Disney archives, but also as an author with numerous titles and publications to his credit. And in what was supposed to be a temporary role in which he was given an empty office and told, just start, he went on to establish what is regarded as the model for corporate archives worldwide and personally acts as the final authority on all matters of Disney history. He has a master's degree in library science from the University of California at Berkeley, and he interned with the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. In his 40-year career with the company, Dave has witnessed transitions, growth, and the spreading of Disney magic to countless smiling faces worldwide. So it is my distinct honor to welcome somebody to the show 
who I've had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with in the past, Chief Disney Archivist Dave Smith. Dave, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. It's uh, it's great to be able to talk to you, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about how you are coming to the end of your tenure at, at the Disney Company. But before we talk about that, let's go back a little bit to the beginning and tell people how you went from being a librarian uh, over at UCLA to working for and with the Disney Company. Well, I sort of was in the right place at the right time. Um, Disney was starting to to wonder about what are we going to do about preserving our history. And uh, this was, of course, uh, uh, it, it came to a head with the death of Walt Disney in 1966. So I was was working as a librarian at UCLA, and, and I had done some work on a Disney bibliography, so I got to know some people at Disney. And uh, so I was around when they, they started uh, wondering how they could preserve uh, the history of the company, and uh, I thought I could help, so <laughs> I volunteered my services, and uh, they didn't know anybody else uh, that could do anything like that for them, and so they hired me. So the, the Disney bibliography that you were working on, was this a personal project or something you were doing for the company? Well, it started out as a personal project. Uh, I had done several other bibliographies, including a couple that had been published by UCLA. Um, so I started it out this way, but uh, as I uh, got farther into it, uh, uh, the people at the Disney Studio felt this w- would be something very useful to them, and so uh, when I finished it, they they bought it from me. Hmm. So, were you surprised when you were first talking to them at that point in, in the company's history that that there were no archives already in existence? Oh, I don't know that I was surprised. I I knew very little about archives. I'd never had a class in, in archives, but I, I had studied library science, and I had worked in uh, a number of different departments at the Library of Congress with uh, um, rare books and manuscripts and prints and photographs and maps and, and all that sort of thing. So. I, I was familiar with how to deal with different types of archival materials, um, but I don't think it ever crossed my mind that uh, uh, there were a lot of business archives in the in the country. And it was only after um, I started uh, uh, talking to Disney about an archive that uh, I actually did a bit of research and and. Uh, <laughs> found out there weren't very many uh, business archives in the United States at that time. So did you basically get to live the dream and say, okay, here's my proposal for what I think I can do to set up this archive, and they'd say, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Go ahead, go do it. Yes, essentially that's the way it happened. I uh, I did about a two-month a consulting job for them in the fall of of 1969. Wrote my proposal uh, around the beginning of January 1970, and uh, it took them six months to decide to go ahead. But they they finally did, and we started the archives in June uh, of 1970. So tell us what that you know I put in quotations that first day is like. This okay, Dave? You walk into work on Monday morning. How do you start? How do you start putting together the Disney archives? Well, you know, uh, it had actually started 
um, uh, there was a semblance of a start, really, when I was doing my, my consulting job for two months because I just went back to the same office I used uh, during those uh, two months. And during that two-month period, I had uh, um, contacted other companies to see what they'd done with their archives, but I also was going around the studio and, and the, the various areas of the Disney company itself to find out sort of the quantity and the quality of the materials that had been saved. So uh, I was getting to know people uh, through the company, and they were getting to know me, and, and so when I came in June of 1970, it was really just a, a continuation of what I started in the fall of 69. Now you obviously must have been, I have to assume, a, a Disney enthusiast early on to have been working on this bibliography. I know I had read that uh, you had met Walt Disney briefly as a, as a child in Disneyland, certainly not in your capacity as an archivist, but you also, you worked with Roy. He was, how, tell us about his role in helping to set up the archives. Well, the the people that were thinking about preserving the history were uh, uh, in two camps. You had the, the Disney family camp, and you had the Disney uh, uh, company administration. And so I was working with both, both sides, and uh, Roy was, of course, uh, uh, the one to make the decisions for the the family side and card walker was uh, making the decisions for the for the company side so uh i was working as i say with both of them and uh, various assistants that uh, that worked with them so um i think roy was very anxious to to do something to preserve the the history of his brother and uh, it, it just sort of grew from that. And tell us a story early on about Walt Disney's office, uh, how basically it was pretty much locked up after he passed away, and you were one of the first people to, to gain access to that and, and start archiving what was in there? That's right. Uh, Walt's secretaries had actually stayed on the job for about a year after he died, cleaning up the files and answering correspondence and, and things like that. And then they pretty much shut up the office. And uh, so this would have been toward the end of 1967. Uh, I came along to do my, my consulting job two years later. So for two years, it had pretty much been closed up. And uh, the only one that went in there was, was the janitor who went in and cleaned every week or two. And uh, nobody else really had access to the office. So um, when I started, one of the first jobs they asked me to do was to make an inventory of, of the offices because they knew that uh, this valuable space at the studio just couldn't be sitting there all <laughs> forever. They really <laughs> needed that space. and. Uh, other executives needed uh, offices and so forth, so um, they wanted to make sure that uh, we documented exactly the way it was when Walt was there, and that included not only making an inventory, but photographing the office from all angles and drawing up uh, 
essentially blueprints of of uh, how it was laid out. And I have to assume that that task fell on you because you were the Disney archives at that point. That's correct. It was just me. <laughs> they gave me a, uh, a secretary from the publicity department to help me. Uh, so uh, for a few months, so she and I would go into the office, and and uh, she had her little steno pad, and <laughs> I I would uh, uh, read to her the the things that I was coming upon, and she would uh, put down on the list. I have to assume, and I, I've sort of put myself in your shoes. What an over forget the fact that it's overwhelming just in scope, but a daunting task because you they, they open that door and you sit down at Walt Disney. I mean, it's Walt Disney's desk. And I think that there's, you know, uh, there's something about the fact that it, it was his desk that had to have had some sort of special meaning for you. <laughs> sure. There was that aura around the offices and, and uh, being the only person having access to the offices really seemed very uh, eerie to me as a, as a brand new member of the staff of the company. And uh, so I, I had a, a heavy mantle on, our, on my shoulders, and <laughs> I, uh, I was hoping that I would be worthy of the task. <laughs> I could just imagine sitting down and, you know, taking a deep breath and saying, okay, just I have to forget about the fact that I'm sitting in Walt Disney's chair and looking at all the things that he was the last to touch before he passed away and sort of kind of go through the process of, of documenting everything. I mean, I have to assume you had to go down to the most minute detail because it was so important to document exactly the way it was. Sure. I mean, I, I counted the paper clips in the dust drawer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it, the exciting thing would be opening a drawer or a cupboard and, and finding something that... Uh, uh, was really uh, iconic in, in Disney history that uh, uh, one would really not have expected it to be there in his office. And that happened several times. Yeah, and were there things that, I mean, I, you know, I, we hear about how much time Walt spent in his office. It was almost probably more of a home to him. Were there a lot of personal things there that really weren't appropriate for the archives and and? And he had to sort of distinguish what should go to the archives and what should go to his family. Uh, there was not a lot of personal memorabilia or, or items, uh, primarily because uh, uh, the family took them home. Uh, as I said, the, the office was open a year after Walt died, and, and the secretaries were in there, so... Um, I know that Mrs. Disney came in from at, uh, on occasion and, and uh, uh, took some of the personal things home. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of that when I came. And then tell me about sort of the the growth of the archives. Certainly after you finished the job over at, at Walt Disney's office, it must have snowballed, I guess, pretty quickly because, you know, there was film, there was television, there was animation, there was so much going on. Uh, was there any sort of rhyme or reason or direction or did you sort of guide and just sort of started going out and collecting what you could? Well, uh, two things. I, I tried to 
first find all the oldest stuff I could find because that was the stuff that was in the most danger of, of being lost. Uh, the things that uh, were not in people's offices and, and had been stashed away and people had essentially forgotten about them. So that type of material I tried to get into the archives right away. But at the same time, uh, when you start an archive, you, you have to start collecting current materials, too, because that's going to be the history of tomorrow. So I had to make contact with all the different areas of the company, get on distribution lists when I could, um, and, and just sort of keep in touch uh, on a regular basis to make sure we were getting the things that we felt were important to tell the history of the company. And so for people that maybe don't have never visited or aren't really sure, what were the kind of things and what are the kind of things over the years that you collected and are found in the archives? I, I think many of us have this impression of the sort of last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, this giant warehouse with crates <laughs> that, are, that are locked up, and it may not exactly. be very far. <laughs> right? That's us. <laughs> um First off, let me say what we don't have in the archives, and that's a lot of artwork. Um, there are other departments in the company, like the Animation Research Library and Walt Disney Imagineering, that maintain the artwork for the animated films and for uh, the uh, theme parks. Um, practically everything else we have here. Uh, well, one other thing we don't have, the films. Uh, we have a separate film library in the company, but uh, everything else uh, is is represented in our collection, and that's everything from uh, correspondence files of Walt and, and Roy Disney uh, and other Disney executives uh, to books and, and magazines and comic books and photographs and um, awards and... Uh, just a little bit of everything. Now, in addition to some of the art and things like that, I think a lot of people also probably would be surprised to find out that, and maybe disappointed, that the archives doesn't necessarily keep things like attraction props. You don't have a 20,000 league sub. You don't have Mr. Toad's car. You don't have a Skyway bucket necessarily in the archives, but you do have files for every theme park attraction, correct? Well, you know, uh, actually, this has changed a bit in the last few years. Um, as Bob Iger has, has said in some public statements, the, there is the thought that the company might want to do a museum someday. So um, three or four years ago, we were asked if we would collect some more props and costumes and set pieces from the movies, as well as uh, iconic things from the parks. So uh, we got more warehouses and we got more <laughs> staff and <laughs> we started doing that. So uh, we do have a lot more of those large pieces now than we used to have. Uh, in the olden days, I think people, uh, while they thought maybe we were like a museum, we really weren't because people were coming to us uh, for information, not not to see things particularly, um, and and that that lasted through our first thirty five years or so. Uh, 
today, as I say, we're we're getting more of the of the things, and and uh, we'll have more of a museum collection eventually. I, I want to talk to you about what that that change that Bob Iger brought about. But before that, before Bob Iger, when you know you start out as a as a young man at the company, was it difficult? to acquire some of the things that you wanted? I mean, how does the the new kid with the empty office go about and going to the different divisions saying, I need this, I need to take this and, and bring it to the archives? Did you meet with any sort of, you know... Well, you had to be, you had to be very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had to convince the various departments that you were going to be around a long time, you would take better care of their files than they were and they would still have access to them. Those were the main things that the departments were were worried about. Now, there were some departments that were a bit reticent in turning over their file sets of their materials because these were things that they needed to get into on a fairly regular basis, and they wanted to make sure that they were still going to be accessible to them. Uh, on the other hand, there were other departments that <laughs> welcomed the archives with open arms because they needed the space. And here, take all this stuff, <laughs> get it out of here. <laughs> so uh, we had we had both uh, both sides of the coin, and and uh, um, pretty soon we we had pretty much convinced all of the departments that. Uh, uh, we were going to be around a while, and uh, their materials would be safe with us. And as you alluded to, Bob Iger obviously seemed to be very much aware of the importance and the value of what you're doing. And tell me if this is true, that he basically sort of gave a mandate to all the divisions saying, that, look, if Dave Smith and the archives want it, you get it. And, you know, is that sort of like <laughs> you having your, your search warrant to go in and sort of pick and choose what you needed? Well, you know, uh, he's certainly reinforced that, but that started back in 1970 with Card Walker sending a memo out to all the divisions saying uh, we started an archives. Uh, Dave Smith is is running it. Uh, please give him uh, uh, all the help that he requires, essentially. So Walker did essentially the same thing that, that Iger is doing today, but... Uh, um, Bob certainly reinforced it and and uh, had it apply to to more things like the, the museum objects and so forth, which we hadn't been collecting in the past. Yeah, in nineteen seventy, did you have to walk around with a copy of that in your pocket just in case? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I ever had to pull it out and show it to anybody. <laughs> um. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you're talking about the the growth of the company and the expansion of the company. And even early on, there was so much going on with live action and animation and TV and then the theme parks. And now it's growing so much more. Uh, Obviously, way back when it was just you and, and your staff grew just a little bit. How do you... And your staff, I mean, how do you kind of be in in every place at once with so much going on to make sure that you are able to gather all that you need to? Or do you find that that the different divisions are voluntarily sending this stuff to you? Well, the the archive staff has grown as the company has grown. So as there are more demands on our time, uh, more people need information from the archives, we've been able to add staff members. 
So uh, there were maybe uh, 10,000 employees in the company in 1970, and now there's 150,000 employees. So it's a much different company. But uh, we had one person in the archives then, and we have about eight people in the archives today. So uh, we have grown uh, as the company has grown. Have you found it more or less of a challenge as time has gone on? I mean, obviously, part of preserving the history includes things that you spoke about before, such as documents and memos from Walt Disney and executives. As time has gone on, obviously, computer, email, mobile technology. Is that more challenging now for you to sort of gather and archive the electronic media? Well, of course, there's more of a challenge today, primarily, because there's more stuff to collect. (laughs) Um, And there is always the problem of of the electronic media, uh, emails, for example, that... uh, um, the company saves some of the uh, the emails of the top executives, but uh, a lot of other stuff uh, from various departments uh, is done with email and, and on their computers. And there are no hard copies made, and not, so nothing is available to be archived. Um, it is a problem that uh, all archives in the world are, are facing. And what about in time, the acquisition of other companies. So I th- I'm thinking about things like Pixar and Marvel. Is that something that as these companies are acquired, they start to be added to the archives at all? Or is it from that acquisition? We, are, we, we collect basic materials on the acquisitions and, of course, uh, uh, keep track of, of uh, uh, newspaper and magazine articles that are written about uh, our acquisition and about the companies once we have them. But if you you talk about uh, uh, Pixar and you talk about uh, Marvel, they both have their own archives already. And so those are existing. And so uh, um, we don't have to uh, go back and, and uh, archive things from before the time that, uh, uh, that we uh, acquired the companies. One thing that was always disappointing to me as an enthusiast, as a researcher, is that while the purpose of the archives is to collect and preserve all of this history and make it available to people, it really has always been for the internal company's use, uh, for cast members, for executives, whoever might need it. It's never really been open to the public for research purposes, correct? Well, no, don't say never. <laughs> it was originally, and uh, probably for the first 30 years or so, uh, we were, were open to students and writers outside the company. But the company just grew so large, and the demands on our staff grew so great that uh, we just didn't have the time to to work with students and others that uh, wanted to come in and use our materials. And so we had to stop it at that time. And so today, uh, yes, we we are only open to uh, uh, employees and cast members of the company. I missed the boat by just a few years. (laughs) But but, let me ask you this, though. How, what about the, the relatively recent opening, as it were, of the archives to Disney enthusiasts, uh, certainly not for research, but through things like the D23 Archives tours and the D23 Expos, how has that changed things for you? Um, 
well, I like it. <laughs> uh, it hasn't really changed anything for me. It's just that I've been able to uh, acquaint more people with what we have done here. And uh, I love uh, uh, doing the D23 uh, archives tours because uh, these people are so... Uh, uh, entranced with the the type of materials that we have in our collection, and and uh, they just love to see some of the special things that I bring out to show them, um, as well as uh, of course having a chance to look at our our few uh, display cases and and uh, things that we regularly have on display here. So um, this is just a, another type of outreach that. Uh, um, has has been very gratifying. Listen, you you went from the empty room to a Disney celebrity, Dave. I mean, you're the, you're the face of the archives and and really <laughs> the face of the company for a lot of people. Whether they see you at events or they they meet you at some of the special events or they well, read you at the, I on the always the... realize that and and, <laughs> and so when uh, D23 decided to uh, throw me a retirement banquet down at Walt Disney World. Uh, on the 15th of October as, as part of their sip and stroll event that they're doing, uh, tied in with the food and wine festival. I thought, well, who's going to want to come and have dinner with me? But <laughs> they sold out in a day and a half. So I, I guess there's more people that want to have dinner with me than I thought. <laughs> You're really a Disney rock star, Dave. You have to just come to terms with it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the, the archives tour and I had a chance to do that Myself, I was part of the group that was the very first tour that D23 gave. And I have to tell you, it was the highlight and still is of anything I had ever experienced as far as my passion for Disney was concerned. To be able to not just see you, of course, but to see some of the things and to be in a place where so much important information and props and materials was, was being held. What's been the reaction of other fans? I, I have to assume it's got to be just the same way. Yes, I, I, I feel it is the same way. I get uh, a lot of feedback from people that have been on those tours and uh, uh, the, the archives is their highlight of their visit to the studio. Um and uh, they're just very thrilled to have a chance to at least see what the archives is. Sometimes they're they're a little disappointed because they expect a, a Raiders of the Ark Lost Ark <laughs> warehouse, but uh, and and maybe our display area isn't as big as they they might have envisioned in their mind. But uh, um, I, I think that uh, they come away with a, a, an appreciation of uh, of what we've done and how we've done it here. I know for myself and for a lot of people when we were on the tour, I was almost watching their reactions as much as I was sort of in awe of where I was. And there were so many, you know, gasps and, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe that as they were walking from case to case. And, and I had even videotaped it and there was some of those some of those reactions were caught on there and you could hear people's just joy in what they were seeing what do you think that the one thing is that people who have come into the archives that seems to maybe amaze them the most or that they comment on or are surprised by most because i i have one in particular for myself so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe you're thinking of the ticket number one for Disneyland. 
uh, I usually pull that one out for the groups, and uh, that's always a highlight, uh, thinking that, yes, indeed, this was the very first ticket that was ever sold at Disneyland. And and as impressed as I was with that, you know, and I'm and I was happy to see that ticket number one was preserved for me. David was the bird, and I tell this story oh. <laughs> to to anybody that'll listen, and even some people that won't about going on the tour. And I've we've always heard the story about Walt Disney finding this animatronic bird, and and I had this vision of of this larger bird that Walt gave to the Imagineers, and they disassembled, they reversed engineered it, and so you know, goes the birth of audio animatronics and you start talking about the bird and you reach over casually on, on the, a, a stand to the side and you bring over this little bird cage with this tiny, I don't know, four or five inch bird. And you talk about how this was the bird. And there you are. You're just picking it up and handling it and winding it. And I'm looking at it like it's the Holy grail. I'm like, my God, man, put on some gloves. <laughs> it's the bird. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, I guess we get used to some of these things. We see them every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and it was such a thrill for me to see that. And it was, you know, I look back and I laugh. And again, it, it's sort of, you know, just part of your normal day to have the bird there. And what that represents for us was just like, you know, you imagine it should be in some sort of hermetically sealed case. But well, let me ask you this. For you, especially because you were a, a Disney enthusiast, was there anything that you found during your 40 plus years that was your, um, and I have to assume there's many, that wow moment, like, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm holding Walt's paperclip, whatever it might be. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of the, the things that most excite me are the things related to Walt himself. And uh, I, I'm I'm still terribly thankful for Roy E. Disney, who brought us a, uh, a tin box uh, that he'd found in his garage that uh, had belonged to his grandfather, Elias Disney, which had all of his important documents and papers in it. And uh, one of the things that I found in that box was a postcard written by Walt when he was 15 to his mother uh, with a drawing on the back, a beautiful drawing showing that this guy really had uh art talent even at that age yeah and it's so wonderful to know that that those things from his personal childhood before he was walt disney the icon are are preserved there as well i think i think we we were talking especially about the theme parks before i think people may not realize that in addition to the archives and what you've been able to do by by kind of sort of opening up the vault and sharing with fans you and as the archives also had a role in the creation of something that I hope all Walt Disney World fans have had a chance to visit and go through and appreciate, which is Walt Disney One Man's Dream over at Disney's Hollywood Studios that opened back in October for Walt Disney World's 100 Years of Magic Celebration and really is a tribute to Walt Disney the man behind the mouse. But there's a lot of authentic artifacts on display can you tell us about the creation of that attraction and your hand in it? Sure. Uh, it was Walt Disney Imagineering, of course, that uh, um, designed the attraction, but they came to us uh, in the archives, and uh, uh, we discussed various things uh, from our collection that would be uh, nice to have on display down there. And 
through the years, we've uh, switched out some materials, and, and we are doing that right now. The attraction is currently closed, I believe, until November. And uh, uh, we have uh, some of the old toys that were on display have come back to us, and, and we've gathered some different ones to put on display down there. So um, all the Disney fans that... Uh, I think they've seen uh, One Man's Dream and are going to have to go back again after November because uh, uh, there will be some different things on display. Uh, I am excited. Listen, that's, that is actually one of my favorite attractions because I think it is so much about Walt and the history of the company. And, you know, we talk about Walt Disney. It's very, the- it's very important, I think, for, for especially for the young people of today that don't really know of Walt Disney the man and they know Walt Disney as a company or as a place or a thing but they don't think of it as a, an actual person and this is at least one place where we can uh, uh, testify to the fact that yes indeed there was a man who started this all I agree the fact that it personalizes him so well is why I love that attraction so much and why I think it's so very important and I hope never goes away and continues to change um, you know part of the reason why I want to talk to you now Dave and have you on the show is like I said at the beginning uh, I'm happy for you but I'm sad to see you go you know like many people in the company you started out as you know what was supposed to be sort of a temporary position you were writing your little uh, writing a little book and now 40 years later uh, you're retiring and I'm going to ask you the difficult questions that, that I have to ask things like you know, looking back, what might be sort of the most rewarding or the most gratifying part of what you've done as your career as an archivist for the company? Well, the thing that I think I'm most gratified for, about is is something that most people probably wouldn't think of. But through the years, I have been contacted by hundreds and hundreds of young people that are passionate about Disney. They have questions, so they contact the archives. Um, In a lot of these people, I have seen the spark. I have seen the desire to, to work for the company and to uphold Walt Disney's traditions and so forth. And I have encouraged these people. I have mentored these people. And it's so gratifying today to me, for me to see uh, dozens and dozens of people throughout the company that I met when they were children, <laughs> essentially. And now they are uh, members of the, of the company and, and serving the company very well. One good example is Clay Shoemaker, who is uh, uh, the current ambassador, uh, one of the current ambassadors at Walt Disney World. I met Clay when he was 13 years old. Oh. Hmm. That's great. And that's great. I mean, the fact that you are able to help inspire people like that in so many different ways, I think is wonderful and certainly a, a testament to, to who you are as well. Looking back, did you, did you find that there was anything sort of maybe your biggest challenge along the way that you were either were or were not able to overcome, but in, in your tenure with the company or, or collecting things for the archives, I should say. Well, the, the challenge is, of course, the, the growing company and realizing you can't save everything 
and trying to figure out, well, what of this stuff should I keep and what, what do I not, not need to keep? Uh, what, what are the employees of the company going to need to see in 10 years and, and what maybe isn't as, as important? So you, you have to make uh, ruthless decisions sometimes because you just <laughs> cannot save everything. And uh, that's always a challenge, and, and it's it's always uh, uh, gratifying when you've made the right decision, but it's <laughs> also a bit daunting when you realize you got rid of something you shouldn't have. <laughs> Is there anything that you look back and say, oh, I can't believe I didn't keep this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want a time machine so I can go back. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it still is very much apparent that you are still very passionate about what you do. I mean, I have to assume, I know you had talked about retiring five years ago, so but it still must have been a tough decision to, to decide to hang it up. Well, see, five years ago, I was reaching 65, and I thought, <laughs> you know, everybody re- retires at 65. I should retire at 65, but I was still having fun. <laughs> I wasn't ready to retire at 65, so... Now this year I'm turning 70, and I thought, uh, well, uh, maybe this is the time. And you're you're certainly leaving the archives in very able hands uh, of Becky and the and the rest of the staff. Are you going to stay on and and help out or consult at all with the archives? I I'm very sure that I will be. <laughs> I, I don't know just in what capacity. It'd probably be as a consultant in some sort, uh, uh, and they certainly will have me. Uh, involved with the D23 events. Uh, um, They're already talking about uh, several for next year. I'll be retired, but uh, they want me to come back and do presentations (laughs) at the expo and things like that. So um, I'm I'm sure I'm going to be around. I I just live a mile from the studio, so it's very convenient uh, for me to to drop by uh, if they have need for me for any reason. And uh, so I, I assume that I will uh, continue to, to work for the company as long as I can and in some some basis, but, but not as a regular employee. Well, we'll see. If you leave on a Friday afternoon, we'll see how long it takes on Monday morning before your cell phone starts to ring. Dave, we can't find this. <laughs> well, my retirement date is October 15th, and, and I'm going to be in Florida still on a business trip for three more days uh, while I'm no longer an employee. <laughs> so you and I spoke um, about five years ago. And I asked you the question that if on your last day of work, you could walk out of the archives with one item as a gift from the company for all of your years of service and dedication, what would it be? And I'm going to ask you that same question now, if I, you know, today, because you are about to leave and they probably won't give you one thing for your choice. What did I give you last time? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't cheat. I'll tell you, you said that you couldn't come remember. up. <laughs> you said that you couldn't uh, come up with one because the collection was so very personal to you and so much of a part of you. I have to assume that's even more so for you now. Sure. That, that's uh, definitely true. And uh, I, I just have felt this was all my baby here. So, uh, um, it's not going away. I can come back and visit it anytime I want. And uh, so I don't really see that I I need any of these things at my house because uh, they're nearby. 
take the bird. I'm telling you, take the bird. (laughs) 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 You know, as long as we're sort of talking about your entire career, I'd be very remiss if I didn't point out to people that in addition to the archives, you know, in your spare time, you also authored a number of books, including Disney, The First Hundred Years, uh, which you co-authored with Stephen Clark, who's from D23, and Disney A to Z, which is the literal encyclopedia of all things Disney. Quite accomplishments on their own, not even including the archives. Are you going to continue to write or update any of those books? Uh, I will. I am planning to continue to update Disney A to Z. I, I, I feel that's something that's very important to the company as well as to fans and uh as most people know, I I have been doing a, a monthly update of that uh, on the Disney website uh, ever since the most recent edition, the third edition, was published in 2006. So I would assume that that's going to keep up. And uh, uh, as long as I have access to the information to keep it up, and I... Uh, uh, it's not going to be as easy getting the information uh, when I'm not reading everything that's crossing my desk. But uh, hopefully the uh, the archive staff will uh, put aside the things that I need to uh, to keep that book updated. Well, I was very happy to hear that you are going to continue to attend some of the D23 events. Uh, I know Destination D is coming up. You've got the Sip and Stroll Hopefully, you'll be at the expo back at Anaheim next year. Are you going to also continue the um, the Ask Dave column? I know a lot of people like the fact that they can sort of reach out. Although they can't visit the archives, they can reach out to you via the website and the newsletter. I really enjoy doing the Ask Dave column, and so I have offered my services <laughs> to the <laughs> D23 people uh, that I would be willing to continue uh, Ask Dave, and uh, I think they're they're uh, glad to have me do that. I, I, that's wonderful because, again, it's, it's a chance for us to get to sort of interact with you and pose questions that guests have that only you can answer. And I'll put a link uh, on the website uh, in the show notes where you can go and you can post your questions to the Ask Dave column. Dave, I have to make a quick personal aside. I, I've told you this in the past, but... When I visited the archives and was able to go in there, yes, I was impressed with the bird and some of the Mary and some of the things. But when you had told me years ago that that you had put um, uh, copies of my books in the archives, it was that was my holy grail. That was my you know most incredible honor. And when you said you, that you had them in the office, I again cannot tell you what that means to me uh, on on a personal level. So, Dave, uh, what I'm going to do is first, I'm going to post a couple of videos that I'm going to share with listeners um, from my Disney Archives tour, as well as something you did last year at the D23 Expo. You gave me a private tour of the archives exhibit, and I've been holding on to that, and I want to share it now with people um, as sort of part of your retirement. And again, on behalf of myself and everybody that's listening and all the Disney fans who you have impacted by the important work that you're doing. I, I want to offer you my sincerest thanks as well as my congratulations uh, f- to your retirement and best of luck of everything going forward. I thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks in, uh, at D23. Okay. Dave, again, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Sure. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Of course, big thanks go out to my very special guest, Dave Smith, as he approaches his retirement from the Walt Disney Company. Again, look for new videos with Dave Smith as he takes us through the Walt Disney Archives during the Archives Tour, as well as a special private tour that he took through the Treasures of the Archives exhibit back at last year's D23 Expo. You can find all those not just in iTunes, but if you come by the site over at www.radio.com, there you can also find discussion forums, daily blog posts. You can also shop in the WDW Radio store where you can purchase signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books and also get the audio guides to Walt Disney World. Main Street, Adventureland, Fantasyland are out, and Liberty Square and Mickey's Toontown Fair were just released last week as instantly downloadable files, or you can pre-order those on CD. On the site, you can also find all the different ways you can connect with me and the show through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, friend feed, so, so much more. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, and if you're a new listener on the site and in iTunes, you can find our archives with all of the past episodes of the show. So there's everything from detailed looks at current and former attractions, more interviews, vacation planning, history, trivia, so, so much more. And if there's something you want to see on the show, or if you just want to send me an email, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. I also invite you to come by and share your thoughts and feedback in the comments section in this week's show notes, as well as on any of the blog posts on the site as well. A couple of quick announcements about some upcoming Disney meets and other events. I'll be leaving in just a couple of days to head out to California for Destination D. As you know, we also have our World of Color dessert party, and the meet of the month in September is actually going to be in Disneyland as well. It's going to be Thursday, September 23rd. We're going to meet at noon in front of the Haunted Mansion in New Orleans Square. We're going to get together, say hi, maybe share a ride on the Haunted Mansion. I've never seen the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay, so definitely looking forward to that. Also gives us a chance to meet up before the Destination D events really get started. Maybe we'll have a chance to spend some time enjoying some of the events over the next couple of days together as well. Coming back to Walt Disney World the following week, Friday, October 1st, is our annual walkabout for the first night of the Food and Wine Festival. We're going to meet around 2.30 on Friday, October 1st, right by Showcase Plaza. That's where the walkway from Future World meets World Showcase. From there, we'll determine if we'll go clockwise or counterclockwise and make our way around the promenade, sampling all the different items from the different kiosks, some of the food, some of the wine, and of course, record it for the show as well. Anyone and everyone is welcome to join us. You can come by and RSVP on the Facebook event page. I'll put a link to that, not only in this week's show notes, but to everything I'll talk about here at DisneyMeet.com. Now, if you can't make it on Friday or maybe the walkabout just isn't for you, we're also going to have a meet of the month outside the parks on Saturday, October 2nd. I thought we would do it close to Epcot because food and wine is going on, but outside the park, especially for those people that maybe don't have tickets or are seasonal uh, pass holders. So we're going to meet at 9.30 Saturday morning at the Boardwalk Bakery. We'll have a little breakfast on the Boardwalk. Uh, stay till about 11, 11.30 or so, and then whoever wants can walk back over to Epcot, enjoy the food and wine and festival as well. That is going to be Saturday, October 2nd. The Food and Wine, Wine and Dine Marathon is that night, so it gives you plenty of time to get together, enjoy some of the parks, a little bit of breakfast in the morning, if you plan on running later on that night. The following weekend is the first annual Swan and Dolphin 
food and wine classic because, again, it's always about the food. That's October 8th and 9th. It is during Epcot's Food and Wine Festival. That's going to take place right on the causeway in between the Swan and Dolphin Hotels. It's going to have everything from beverage seminars to tasting stations starting about 4.30 or so. There's seminars on things like wine blending, sake, beer, champagne, and more. And, of course, you get a chance to sample some of the food from the resort's restaurants like Todd English's Blue Zoo, Shula's Il Molino, one of my favorites, kimonos, and so, so much more. You can get day of event tickets or a la carte tickets for individual samplings. And to find out more, visit the link in this week's show notes or right on the right-hand side of the homepage of www.radio.com. That weekend is also Congaloosh. Really looking forward to participating in and speaking at that event with Jim Corcus, the Adventurers Club cast. Really going to be a good time. And of course, we'll be planning future meets of the month for November and December as well. And of course, we are very excited about the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream, February 27th, 2011. Good news, we've just found out that there is more availability. Some inside cabins have opened up, so you can get an inside cabin if you're looking to join us. We're also going to have some pre-cruise events in Walt Disney World. We're going to have some post-cruise events in Walt Disney World. So for more information, visit www.radiocruise.com. And if you are already joining us on the cruise, you guys have been asking me for shirts and logo gear. They are now available. You'll find a link at www.radiocruise.com or in this week's show notes, the link is cafepress.com slash Cruise. Also, stay tuned. We've been compiling all of your questions. We're going to do a cruise show uh, in an upcoming episode. We're also going to do a live video broadcast and chat where you can ask your cruise questions about the Disney Dream, Disney Cruising in general, general or our specific WDW Radio Cruise. Stay tuned to Twitter and Facebook and the show to find out when we'll do that episode of WDW Radio Live. Don't forget, if you want to play Listener Fact or Fiction, email me your name and your phone number to lou at wdwradio.com. I may call you out of the blue and ask you to answer 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World for a chance to win some prizes. Speaking of prizes, come by the site. I'll link it in this week's show notes. We're having a contest. We're asking you to voice your opinion and vote on your favorite cover of Celebrations Magazine. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Really excited about that. Want to know what cover and issue you enjoyed most and why? And what I'll do is randomly select one of the entries that were posted in the comments section for a chance to win a Disney prize package. You can find details about what's in the prize pack. Also take a look at the covers right on the WDW Radio blog. I'll also link specifically to that post in this week's show notes. And of course, to find out more about Celebrations Magazine, subscribe, order back issues, or contribute, you can go and visit celebrationspress.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. And All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within five miles of Walt Disney World with pools, spas, kitchen, game rooms, and so much more. You can find links to Mouse Fan Travel and All-Star Vacation Homes right on the homepage of www.radio.com. And, of course, my biggest thanks goes out to you for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. I really, really do appreciate it. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening to the show. If you're on Facebook, share a link to this or your favorite episode or just the website with your friends. 
And if you can, please feel free to come by, review the show or the free WW Radio iPhone app over in iTunes. And remember, life is too short and too precious not to do what you love. So get inspired, get motivated, don't ever give up, and always keep moving forward. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Don from Hollywood, Florida. Just wanted to let you know something in case you haven't heard this. We just got off the TTA, and Tom Morrow is back in the narrative. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's not the same, but he's back. Love the show. Thanks. Hey, Lou and all the other listeners. It's Josh. Um, you know, I feel bad, because, uh, and I'm sorry, because I haven't called in a, well, it's been a fairly decent time. Um, uh, but um, I'm in high school now. Um, I'm a freshman, and uh, things are going well, you know. Um, uh, but I wanted to say that my family is serious and actually considering a trip to Walt Disney World for 2011 vacation. And I'm really excited because the thing is is that I wasn't even the one that mentioned it. It was my mom. So uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that uh, you might be seeing me. So uh, I will, uh, It's but it's probably not going to be until October or something. So um, I really like the show. Um, keep it up, Lou. I know you will. I'm uh and I am probably going to download um, the Liberty Square and Toontown audio guides to my iPod. So um, I guess I will uh, talk to you guys later and uh, keep it up. And remember, everybody, if we can dream it, we can do it. See ya. Hello, this is Brian Rainey again. I am from Kansas City, Missouri, and I called you exactly three weeks ago from Disneyland in California, but today I'm calling from Walt Disney's boyhood home of Marceline, Missouri, and I'm at the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. And I hope you get a chance someday to make it up here because there's a lot of stories and a lot of history here. And uh, there's a lady who works at the museum named Inez, and she actually knew Walt Disney. And she told me that Walt Disney actually stayed at her house when he visited Marceline in 1956. But she's, like, full of information. And I hope you get a chance to put on your show someday. But anyway, greetings from Marceline. Hi, everybody. It's Liz Burial Tammy. I haven't called in a while. And um, um, this week's show, I just heard it. I think it's 187. Um, I thought it would be more than appropriate to sing um, this song um, for Rob's mother and for Lou's father. And my condolences go to um, both of you. Um, and here we go. I'll be your candle on the Each flame inside me will glow I know you're lost And drifting But the clouds are lifting Don't give up You have somewhere to turn I will never let you go I will never let you go